Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. Good morning, church family. So glad that you're with us today. We are in part two of a series called Overwhelmed. And the reality is, is that many of us live our lives in some sense of that word of either being overextended or feeling like we're going under or feeling like there's no way to win, there's no way to conquer, there's no way to, be, uh, uh, to find an escape from the circumstances that we're in. And last Sunday, we talked about what it is to be overextended and overcommitted, trying to spin too many plates. We talked about the fact that what we need to do is not count all the plates as the same. Uh, Some of them are big and some of them are small, and we need to be okay if some some of the small ones crash to the ground. And we need to stop living in this mode or trying to live in this mode of being able to do it all. And to take, care, take advantage of all the good opportunities and to make everybody happy and to satisfy all the opportunities, we need to stop trying to live in a mode that God never called us to live. Today, uh, in the second part of this series, we'll do one more next week, but today we're looking at what it is to be overwhelmed by fear. Open your Bibles to the book of Psalm and we're going to look at Psalm 33. Psalms 33. If you don't own a Bible that's easy to read, by the way, we'd love to give you one. We want everybody who wants a Bible to have a Bible. Uh, So if you need one that's easy to read, if you'll stop by the information desk on your way out, that little starting point center in the lobby, and say, hey, can I have one of the Bibles? That'll be yours to keep, our gift to you. We want to make sure that you have a copy of God's Word if that's uh, something you need. Psalm 33, we're going to pick up in verse 16 and read to the end of the psalm. No king is saved by the size of his army, and no warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Let's backtrack back to verse 16 for a moment. Let me just point out a couple of things um, in this passage. No king is saved by the size of his army. So the reminder today is is that if you're up against a battle, if you're in the middle of something that could bring fear into your life, your status, the degrees that you have behind your name, your resources and your place in society or your place in the company, all of those things are not where your hope should be because even a king cannot count on saving himself by the size of his army. The second part of that verse, no warrior escapes by his great strength. That The word warrior there in the original language means a strong man. It actually refers to like a giant, like Goliath. Even a strong man, even one who is, who is exceptionally gifted and skilled. And a lot of people in this room, you are clever and gifted and resourced and intelligent and, and just really creative and amazing people. We cannot count in our own strength. It goes on to say, a horse is a vain hope. 
The words there of vain hope mean they're deceitful. It's a lie. Because you're thinking, think back to the ancient Near East. In these days, a horse was one of the strongest things they knew about. It was one of the strongest things they could count on. It could carry people and it could run fast and it could mow down enemy in a charge. A horse was a significant resource. It was like having a tank in those days. And the, and the, the psalmist is saying, look, even with all the strength of a horse, a horse is a vain hope. It's a lie. Don't think just because you got a horse, you're going to be okay. Don't think just because you have certain resources or certain opportunities, or don't think because you figured your way out of some trouble last year or three years ago, don't think that just because you've got something in your pocket that that's going to be the solution. All throughout this psalm, we're, we're reading about hope in the Lord, and we're not supposed to count on ourselves and trust in ourselves what we are to trust in God. The next verse, verse 18 says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. So God sees and notices those who are fearing him and trusting in him and have faith in him. And it doesn't mean that God isn't looking at, at, at people who aren't trusting in him. God sees all. God is fully knowing of all things at all times in everybody's life. But the eyes of the Lord are specifically on those who fear him, on those who are hoping in his unfailing love. Unfailing love, there is his grace, his kindness, his mercy toward us that we don't deserve. Those who are hoping in that. There isn't an elite group of Christians that God has decided, oh, I see you and you're a special one, so I'm going to help you. And you're sort of on the JV team of Christians, so I'm not going to help you over here. There isn't an elite or non-elite, a, a varsity or a JV. The idea here is, are you trusting in God? Is your hope in him? Are you a man of faith? Are you a woman of faith? For if you are, God sees that faith and he is with you, and he is behind you. In what ways does the text say? It says to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord, for he is our help and he is our shield. The idea of help is, is that he's going to come and deliver us out of this situation and that we're in, and the idea of a shield is that God is going to be our protector as things come against us. As people decide they want to be your enemy, as things creep up in your life that just tries to assault and attack and threaten you, God is our help and shield. And in him, our hearts, what's it say there? Rejoice. This is not a heavy, sad, morose, sorrowful psalm. This is a victorious, confident, bold, praising psalm. We rejoice in the face of needing some help and needing a shield. You want to know our posture? It's rejoicing. We've got some big battles going on in our world. You know what our, our posture is? Our response to that is we're going to sing in loud and proud ways of the goodness and greatness of our God. Because our God can do anything. Hello? Our God can do anything. So we rejoice. And we trust in his holy name. 
And then this is a prayer. Look how personal this is, this last verse here. May your unfailing love be with us. May your undeserved kindness, may your favor, may your mercy, may you dealing with us differently from what we deserve, may you looking at us with an attitude of generosity and kindness and help, you know we're not perfect and you're not treating us as if we had to be perfect in order to receive your help. May your unfailing love be with us even as we put our hope in you. The idea of may your unfailing love be with us is actually may your unfailing love surround us. The context for this, and we'll get into it in a moment, is, is really about a battle that's going on. That nothing in the Hebrew text tells us exactly what was happening around this psalm, but the context clues here probably tell us that, that it was it was tied to some specific victory in a battle. Some military victory has just happened. And in those days, you, know, you can see it up here, there was a thing called siege warfare. And here's an image, and you see castle and fortified walls, and, and you see an army coming out, and the, the people are thinking, our walls are thick, we're good. But the tone of this psalm would be, don't put your hope in what you got. Put your hope in the Lord. Notice in this picture right here, you see those Things flaming, flying over the walls. Uh, they're preparing a battering ram over here in this top right corner. Uh, they're getting ready to assault this building. They are coming at it. They are surrounding the walls of this place. The idea is we are hoping in you as your unfailing love surrounds us. We know what it's like to be surrounded by threats. But what's really true is we're surrounded by your unfailing love. And because that's true, we will have hope. Look at this next picture of, of siege warfare. This gives you a little bit better picture. You see the, the houses inside the wall are on fire. And the thought was they were going to lob these flaming projectiles over the walls of the city. And it was going to catch stuff on fire. It was going to hurt people and burn up all their resources. And an attacking army would just think, we're just going to sit outside the city walls and we're going to starve you out. We're just going to wait. We're going to wait till all your food goes away. We're going to wait till you run out of water. We're going to burn everything you got down in there. It was so awful in those days, in the times of siege warfare, they would actually take dead animals and lob them over the walls of the city so that disease would spread. Siege is a terrible thing when you are surrounded and you're inside the walls and you can't quite see over the walls. What are they doing now? What are they doing next? What's going to happen? How long can we last? Man, we got one bag of food left. How are we going to handle this? We're rationing stuff. People are sick. There's, everything's on fire. We have no shelter. This is a terrible thing to be surrounded and to go through a battle. We need some help. We need God to be our shield. We need deliverance. We need to be saved. So the context in all of this is that Israel has just gone through some kind of a battle like this. And now they're singing about it. I was reading a story yesterday about a siege that happened back in the 1300s. And um, people were starving. They were dying. And somebody had managed to ration out a, a cob of corn. 
And they got down and they had one kernel of corn left. A kernel of corn. Think about a kernel of corn. A little yellow kernel of corn. And they sold it for the equivalent of hundreds of dollars within the walled city. People get desperate. People do incredible things when they are afraid. Into all of this, God is calling us to have hope. You can look at these things up on the screen for a moment. I I believe in this text, you can see the people were wondering, how are we going to win and be saved? How will we escape? How will we survive this? And what should we do? And who will get us out of this? All the language in this passage is about saving and deliverance and help and shield and hope. Currently, people in our world are terribly afraid of something called the coronavirus. And they should be. Because it is destroying lives. It is radically disrupting economies. And it's not done. It's a mess. There are parents who are afraid to let their kids go out of the house. They feel under siege by invisible germs. And they don't know how they're going to handle it. We need somebody to deliver us. Somebody to help us. Somebody to be our protector and shield. We need some hope. Currently in your world, you may be dealing with an enemy at work or in your family who's just decided to siege, to lay siege to your castle. They've just decided to be your enemy and to come against you and to threaten you and to be uh, trying to tear you down and to just be against you in all things. You may have a literal person who is an enemy in your life and you're wondering how it's going to end. You may be facing a financial threat or an illness, and it is bringing up genuine fear. One of the things that is glorious and good about heaven is that there will be no such thing as cancer. Amen? There will be no such thing as cancer in heaven, because that word triggers fear. Some of us in the room may be dealing with that. Some of us maybe in a situation where we're staring at a relationship that you're watching it fall apart, you're watching it almost in slow motion fall into destruction. And some of us may be struggling with fear because somebody you love is under attack. Somebody you love is going through some kind of assault on their life and who they are. Fear overwhelms us. Fear overwhelms us. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Letter A, fear leads you to imagine and expect terrible endings, but God wants you to have hope. Fear says, oh no, the sky is falling. Fear says, oh no, this is going to end terribly. It's not going to work out. It's going to be a disaster. All is lost. All is lost. But God wants you to have hope. And he brought you here this morning. If you're overwhelmed by fear and overwhelmed because of a real enemy or an illness or finances or a situation or a deal at school or a thing on the team, if you're overwhelmed and it's just causing fear to rise up, God wants you to have hope in him. 
Letter B, fear makes you desperate to escape. And God wants you to trust him by waiting. It's right there in the text. We see it there where the psalmist says, we wait in hope for the Lord. That's the response of what God wants for us, not to get desperate. Desperation leads to self-reliance. And the struggle here in the West, the struggle here in the Bible Belt, the struggle here in America, the struggle, struggle here in Murfreesboro is that most of us in the room are, are, are really sharp and strong and well-resourced people. Most of us have been to school. Most of us have learned a few things. Most of us have, are, are pretty crafty. And it is so tempting in the face of fear to say, let me figure out how I can deliver myself. And suddenly, we're a king thinking we got a strong army. Or we're a warrior and we are just jacked. Or we're thinking, I got a horse. I'm set. Fear can lead you to being self-reliant and that can lead you to compromise. Fear can make you desperate and desperate people do desperate things. God wants you to wait on him and have hope. In 1912, one of the survivors of the Titanic disaster where all of those people um, died, when the ship hit an iceberg. In 1912, one of those survivors wrote a book and he told the story that there was one person they knew of who when they were loading the women and children in the lifeboats, there was a man who put on some kind of women's garments, there, were, there weren't a lot of details on it, to sneak onto the lifeboat. This, let's save the women or children, and you may be thinking, well, look, the dude was kind of smart because, like, the ship went down and a lot of people died. But he didn't know that there wouldn't be a rescue ship in the next 10 minutes. He didn't know that there weren't 40 more lifeboats on the other side of the ship. In a desperate moment, out of very real fear, he compromised what was right. Be on your guard, dear ones. When fear is at your door, it will lead you to do desperate things. In the 1300s, someone sold a kernel of corn for hundreds of dollars. You might be tempted to kill somebody for a kernel of corn. You think, oh, that would never happen. Fear makes you desperate. So if you're overwhelmed by now with fear, let's trade your fear for hope before it leads you to compromise, before it leads you to self-reliance, before it leads you to desperate things. Let her see fear overwhelms us because it changes how we fight. If you're in a battle, fear changes how you fight. God wants you to fight in hope and in praise. You see, when you're in this situation of being surrounded or being under siege, when fear is rising strong, there's a real temptation to give up, just surrender. And that's not what God wants for his people. He wants us to be a people of courage. He wants us to be a people of boldness. He wants us to be a people who are overcoming in his power and in his name. 
He wants to put on display what it looks like for his people to go through hard things and to suffer through fear. He wants to show his power and strength through your weakness and my weakness. He doesn't want us to give up. There's also a situation where it changes how we fight and it, and it makes your steps forward timid. You picture being a soldier up there on the walls and the commander has said, look, there's an army out there and they're coming at us and they've laid siege to us and we're running out of food and, and, and I want you to go up on the wall and I want you to stand up on top of the wall and see what the enemy's doing. I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to hide. If I stand up here, there's going to be an arrow flying my way or one of those big giant flaming balls headed my way. I, I don't want to do that. And so suddenly, you're not fighting as a bold, confident warrior. You're timid in your steps forward of like, oh, I guess I'll do this and I'll just peek a little bit. Fear changes how you fight. How are you fighting against the thing that's bringing fear in your life right now? Are you fighting in hope or are you fighting in timidity? History has seen this over and over and over again. Fear changes how you fight and it brings up the temptation for desertion. Abandoning those who are in the fight with you. Be careful when you're overwhelmed by fear that you do not abandon those who are in the fight with you. God put them there. And they're counting on you, and you don't realize it, but you need them. Hello? Don't desert your post. Don't run away. Have hope and fight with praise. There's a song that's quite popular in a lot of places and a lot of churches and it says this is how I fight my battles this is how I fight my battles praising singing about his goodness singing about his greatness that's how I fight my battles the lyric of the song says it may look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you it may look like I'm surrounded by enemies but I got hope because I'm surrounded by the Lord and I'm waiting on him, and my hope is in him. I got an army, I got a horse, but my hope is not in those things. My hope is in the Lord. We fight our battles with a heart that rejoices in God. Yes, the enemy is strong, and yes, they're coming, and yes, they're skillful, and yes, they're crafty, and yes, they're, they're coming at us with everything they've got, but our God is bigger than anything you face. So be encouraged this morning if you are overwhelmed by fear about a relationship, fear about a health issue, fear about your kids, fear about your situation, fear about your job, fear about what's going to happen for college. If you are overcome by fear, step back and hope in God. And lead your heart to praise Him as the way that you fight. Now, these fears are real. Back when these sieges were going on, this was legit. You didn't want to be standing around with one of those flaming balls came over the wall. There was a real threat. 
And this is not a teaching today from a shepherd in the kingdom of God that is saying to you, you should n- never be afraid of things of the world. There are things that are scary. You should get yourself out of harm's way when you can. Fear is, is a legitimate thing. When Jesus tells people to fear not, he's never scolding them for fearing. He's saying to them, you can stop fearing now. There are things that are scary. Whatever's facing you, if it's bringing up fear in your life, that's valid, legitimate fear. If it matters to you, it matters to God. If it matters to you, it matters to God. God is simply coming to you this morning here at church saying, I'd like to take your fear and trade it for some hope. I'd like to... I'd like to take your fear and I'd like to encourage you, encourage you. I'd like to pour some courage into you. Do not give glory to the threat. Do not give glory to the surrounding army. Do not give glory to those that lay siege to your life. Do not acclaim and ascribe to them that they are big and powerful, for your God is more powerful than anything that comes against you. Hope in the Lord. You can stop fearing now. This passage is full of hope. It's, the word hope is actually mentioned four times in this text. I want to talk about hope for just a moment. There's two kinds of hope. There's two kinds of hope. There's, there's sort of a godless hope, which is this, this thing of nervous uncertainty wrapped up as a wish. Nervous uncertainty wrap up is a wish. It's not really counting on God. It's not factoring God. It's not banking on God. The, the best picture of this I, I like to use for it is in those movies where you see that there's a bad guy and he's put together a time bomb. And the good guy has come in and he's got the wires exposed on the time bomb and the clock is ticking down. And the good guy is not real sure how to disarm the time bomb, but there's a blue wire, a green wire, and a yellow wire. And he's got a pair of pliers and he's sweating and he's shaking. And he goes, I, I guess I'm going to cut the green wire. So green G stands for good. Maybe we'll, we'll go for that. B stands for boom. We don't want to hit blue. We, we're just going to go for green right now. So he squints and clenches on the wire. That's godless hope. Am I still here? <laughs> Uncertainty <laughs> wrapped up as a wish. I hope this works out. Crossed fingers. Nervous. My heart is not at peace. My heart is not at rest. That is a godless hope. But what is Godward hope? Godward hope is steady confidence in God with none of the details. Godward hope is steady confidence in God with none of the details. We're surrounded. There's a big old enemy out there. He has already hurt a lot of people around me, and it's devastating, and it's hard, and I know other people have gone through what I'm going through, and it hasn't worked out so good, and this is not looking great, and I don't know how it's going to turn out. Oh, my goodness, but whatever's out there, isn't bigger than God. 
I don't know how he's going to do it. Once upon a time, he parted the waters so people could walk through. Once upon a time, he made some city walls just fall down. God can do anything. And I don't pretend to tell you when he's going to deliver me. I don't pretend to tell you I know how he's going to deliver me. But I have a steady confidence in God. And I don't know any of the details. Now let's get real for here for a moment. If, if We need to expand our definition of victory beyond what we can see with our eyes. Meaning, if someone you love gets sick, God might make them well by taking them to heaven. Or he might give them more days on the earth. But as Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. Let's redefine victory. Most of us in the room, for whatever is causing fear in your life, most of us in the room, most of us, we are not under the threat of death. So whatever it is, we'll get through it. So we have a steady confidence in God. Nothing comes into my life without the permission of my sovereign God, so I trust him that if he's allowed it to come into my life, he has a purpose for it in my life. And I will trust his plan. Whatever plan he's got, it's the best plan. Whatever his timing is, it's the best timing. I have a steady confidence in God. Well, aren't you afraid? Yes, I'm afraid but I have a steady confidence in God. What does Godward hope look like? We hope in his vision. This passage tells us that his eyes are on us. We have hope in his vision that he sees our situation and our faith. We have hope in his grace that Unfailing love, this text talks about, that mercy and undeserved kindness are his attitudes toward us. We have hope, Godward hope, in his help that he can make a way of escape no matter what the situation is. We have hope in his protection that he can defeat any threat, that he can be our shield. So what do we do? What do we do when we're facing things that bring us to fear and that fear overwhelms us and consumes us, tries to anyway? What do we do? What do we do with our fear? Let me finish with these three things. First of all, we pray a lot. Why? We pray a lot to remind God and to remind ourselves that our hope is not in us. Pray a lot to remind yourself and to confess to God, my hope is not in me. I'm a king, but I'm not counting on that. I got a horse, but that's not where my hope is. I'm strong, but my hope is not in me. 
This is the way God's people hope in him. If you're facing something right now, have you prayed about it? Are you still praying about it? Have you enlisted others to pray with you about it? And what kind of prayers are you praying about it? I don't mean that you pray once, but I mean, are you calling out to God saying, I don't have this. And I'm afraid. And I don't want to trust in me. Because whatever I could do is nothing compared to what you can do. So God, I'm, I'm taking my fear and I'm lifting it up to you to say to you, I remember who you are. Parted waters and tumbled down walls. So come into my siege and be my help and be my shield. Because my hope's not in me. Pray a lot, a lot. Something powerful happens when you pray a lot and then the deliverance of the Lord comes. The story isn't what you survived or what you pulled off. The story is what God did. When you pray, you keep, you keep your hope in him so the praise goes to him. Number two, expect God to act favorably toward you. Expect God to act favorably toward you. We, we talked about this a few minutes earlier, that, that fear leads us to imagine and expect terrible endings. But, but you and I are not um, in a situation of fear where everything's riding on our good behavior this week. Because God's attitude toward us, God's posture toward us is unfailing love. It's grace. It's mercy. It's undeserved kindness. God is going to respond to us, not out of what we deserve, but out of his love for us. That's amazing. Biggest illustration of that is in the cross of Jesus Christ. While we were helpless in our sin and we were dead to God, not just bad people, but spiritually dead people, God in kindness, not because we deserved it, but because he loved us. He sent his son Jesus into the world to live a sinless life and then to become the sacrificial lamb to pay for the guilt of your sins and my sins. God did that out of love for you and for me. God raised him from the dead three days later and he says to any of us that if we will believe in Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross and follow Jesus as the Lord and, leader, Lord and leader of our lives, we will be brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. We will have the Holy Spirit in us, sealed up for heaven and all eternity. We will be born again. We will be made new. We will be set free. We will have access to the throne of God. We can then Call on him when we're under siege. 
if you have not asked God to forgive your sins and if you have not believed and followed Jesus, then you are still separated from God. And if you've been relying on yourself, how's that working for you? If you've been trying to do it all yourself and fix it all yourself and cope with it all yourself and handle it all yourself, how's that working for you? Come on home and believe in Jesus today. And open that opportunity for you to call on him and hope on him in the midst of your fear. Stop trying to do it your way. And come on and receive his work in your life. Believe in Jesus. This idea of expecting God to act favorably toward you is important because a lot of times you and I, when we come into situations of fear and circumstances that look hard and they're surrounding us and they're, they're scary and they're legit scary, we sometimes think, oh, I want to ask God now, but you think, oh, I don't know that I deserve to. I didn't read my Bible this week or I was running hard after some sin 10 minutes ago. I can't, I can't go to him. That's a lie. If you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, if you are in Christ Jesus, God does not deal with you according to what you deserve. He deals with you in loving kindness, in unfailing love, in grace, and in mercy. And even beyond that, when God looks at you, he does not see a disappointment. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. So do not for one moment think that your behavior has changed God's love for you. Because if you're a son or a daughter, nothing you could ever do will ever change that. And he will deal with you as a beloved child. So when the enemy comes, when the enemy surrounds, when the fear is rising, when you're feeling overwhelmed by how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get some help? How am I going to be delivered? How am I going to escape this? What am I going to do? Go to your father in confidence that he's not asking to evaluate you before he'll help you. This is our hope. For it may look like we're surrounded by enemies, but you know what we're surrounded by? According to the Bible, his unfailing love. So pray a lot, and don't expect things to add bad, end badly. Expect God to act favorably toward you. And then finally, instruct and train your soul to wait in Godward hope. Instruct your soul. You're going to have to grow up in this. You're going to have to mature in this. You're going to have to get better at this. You're going to have to treat it like a sport. You're going to have to treat it like a discipline. You're going to have to get better at this because early on our faith gets weak and we start to see the threat and we begin to believe that the threat's bigger than our God. And then as we mature in Christ and we live a little bit and we trust him more and more and more, we instruct our soul to say, yep, the enemy's loud. The enemy's big. The enemy's numerous. But I have steady confidence in God. Not in me, but in God. So I will wait. 
Waiting is some of the hardest work of the Christian life. Hello? It's hard. We don't wait well. We don't like to sit still. We don't like to be passive. In our more honest moments, we're so prideful, we don't like to depend on anybody else. We like the fact that we're sort of self-made. And the Bible is telling us in Psalm 33 that we should wait in hope. Sit still, God. Wait for you, God. Yes. You have to instruct your soul to sit still. You have to instruct your soul to wait. You have to instruct and train your soul for Godward hope, even when it doesn't make sense. There's a weather phenomenon that all of us are familiar with called a tornado. Pressure and wind and atmosphere is just right and tornadic activity happens with air circulates and cycles and it becomes this swirling mass and pulling in all kinds of debris and it spins at just incredible speeds and it moves across the earth in destruction and it tears up houses and cities and does terrible, terrible things and it takes a lot of lives. It's an awful thing that happens in the weather patterns on this planet. The tornadoes, they give you some of those instructions. One of those instructions is when the sirens go off, pay attention to them. I've been a little bit bad about that. Does anyone else go outside and look when the sirens go off? I just will confess that. I'm like, really? Really? Looking out the window. (laughs) They tell you that if you're not in some sort of a fortified building, this might be a pretty decent building to be in, um, in in a tornado, but if you're not in some kind of a fortified building, if you're just at your house, go into the bathroom and get your whole family where? In the bathtub. Well, that's a party. And they even say, if you want to go another step, grab a, a mattress. And at that point, you're going, all I got are king mattresses. This is going to be bad. <laughs> grab a mattress, and you guys get in the tub, and then put the, the mattress on top of your family, this, this sort of safe and secure part of your home. There were times when we were living in Texas and our kids were young when there was a tornado in the area and the the TV had gone off and the sirens were blaring and you could hear the wind outside, but you couldn't, you didn't know. Was it 20 feet away or 20 miles away? You didn't know. You didn't know what was outside the walls. And so as a father, you led your little children into the bathroom to get into the bathtub and wait. They didn't understand physics. They don't understand how load-bearing walls and houses and why a bathroom area might be safe. They didn't understand what you were waiting for. They didn't really contemplate consequences that could happen if the roof were taken off and the house was lifted from the foundation. All they had was childlike faith to say, okay, daddy, 
the sirens are going off and the wind's blowing, but I'll get in the bathtub and wait. And the whole time they're in the bathtub, we got candles and flashlights. They're looking at, they're looking at you. Is it okay now? Is it time now? Has it been long enough? They're just looking at you. My little kids trusted their father that even though it didn't make sense to them, but that was the safest place for them to be, was doing what he said to do. Waiting out what could hurt them. Dear sons and daughters of God, under very real threat and swimming in fear. It doesn't quite make sense to you, but wait on God and hope in Him. It's not idleness. It's not laziness. It's not being passive. It is being Godward. I don't have a single detail of how this is going to turn out but I have a steady confidence that whatever's out there is not bigger than my God. So therefore, I'm going to lay down my fear and I'm going to pick up hope. I'm going to trust in God. I'm just going to say, yes, Daddy. I'll wait on you. Let's pray.